are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, Hosea chapter number three. Verse number one, we'll read down through verse number five, the whole chapter, Hosea chapter number three. There's a little word in chapter number one, and just for context, let me read verse number two of chapter number one. The Bible says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. Then we find that God throughout the rest of this chapter describes the situation of Israel by using this union between the prophet Hosea and this wife of whoredoms. The Bible tells us her name in verse 3. Her name is Gomer. And in verse number 9, God makes the statement, chapter 1, For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. That's a pretty stout statement, isn't it? I mean, for God to look at Israel and say, you're no longer my people and I'll no longer be your God. That's a statement that seems to have all the hope robbed out of it. What a dark statement it is. But just like God, he never leaves us on the negative. He always brings it back to positive. And God gives us a word in verse number 10, and I underlined it. And it's that little word that begins the verse, that word yet. That means in spite of, still, anyhow. And he goes on to explain, there'll be a day when, again, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. And Israel will be like the uh, sand on the seashore and God will keep his promise. In chapter number 3, verse number 1, we find that little word, yet again. And the Bible says, then said the Lord unto me, go yet. That means still, in spite of, anyhow, regardless. Love a woman beloved of her friend. Yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, and thou shalt not play the harlot. And thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. We find in chapter number one that this woman that Hosea weds, she's unfaithful before he marries her. She's unfaithful after he marries her. Her unfaithfulness causes them to have a separation in chapter number two. And she gets so far down that in chapter number 3, she's literally about to be sold as a slave because of sin. And yet God says to Hosea, in spite of her actions, in spite of her backsliding, in spite of her rebellion, in spite of her wickedness, I want you to go to where she is, and I want you to bring her back. Now that is a picture that God is painting for his nation. Though they've strayed and played the, the part of a spiritual harlot and they've turned their head away from God to other gods and other things. God said, there'll be a day when I'll restore you, there's my word, restore you unto myself. Bring you back to where you used to be. I really didn't know exactly what I would preach from this book. And then a couple of Saturday nights ago in men's prayer room, it 
this is how we talk where I come from. It got on. That means it was good in there. And we were praying and weeping and one of the men stood up and prayed, and I won't say who it is, but we, we know who it is, but he, he offered a prayer and mentioned in this prayer, and with his voice, you could just tell his heart was sturdy, prayed for those that were prodigals and that were out of fellowship. Amen. God began to stir my heart about that. But aren't you glad that though they might be out, they don't have to stay out? And though there might be a separation, there doesn't have to be a separation. And for a little while this evening, I want to preach on that subject of restoration. And I pray God will use it to encourage us and challenge us this evening. Let's pray. Lord, please, I pray you'll give me power to preach. I pray you'd help me to speak clearly and help us to paint this picture so that we can see just what kind of a God you are. Thank you for that yet, that in spite of. God, you're so good to us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. In 1892, William Kirkpatrick penned a hymn, and we sing the hymn here from time to time, and you'll know it. But the lyrics say this, I've wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years, now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord, now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word, Lord, I'm coming home. My soul is sick, my heart is sore, now I'm coming home. My strength renew, and here it is, my hope restore, Lord, I'm coming home. Restoration means renewal. It means revival. It means reestablishment. It's the state of being returned to a former, original, or unimpaired condition. In layman's terms, I'll say it like this. Restoration is simply bringing back what used to be. When you restore a car, you bring that car back to how it used to be. When you restore a painting, you bring the painting back to how it used to be. When you restore a building, you're bringing the building back to how it used to be. Restoration removes the ugly. Restoration buffs out the scratches. Restoration brings back the color. Restoration covers the impurity. Restoration mends whatever's been broken. Simply put, restoration is bringing back what used to be. Now, throughout the Bible, God calls to man to come to him. And let me stop there and say that I'm glad our God is not caught up with some contemporary theologians and our God still extends an invitation. And here from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible, we find God inviting man to come. It begins in the Garden of Eden. Adam fell into sin, yet God calls to Adam to come to him. Noah was living in a perverse culture, yet God calls to Noah to come to him. Abraham was living in the midst of paganism, yet God calls to Abraham to come to him. The pinnacle is reached at Calvary as Jesus dies for the sins, not just mine, but yours, the sins of the world. And God calls to man and says, come unto him. And I'm glad our Bible tonight does not just teach us about a God who calls or invites us to come to Him as lost sinners, but we also find a God who invites us to come back to Him when we become straying children. I'm glad that our God's the God of salvation, but hallelujah, He's also in the business of restoration. God can give us citizenship in the heavenly country. But I'm glad he can salvage us when we find ourselves in the far country. I'm glad God can pull us out, but thank God he can also pick us up. 
I'm glad he's my savior, but he's also the restorer. And God can renew, and God can revive, and God can reestablish, and God can bring back what used to be. God can restore a person. God can restore a church. God can restore a family. God can even restore a nation. Our God is a God who can bring things back to how they used to be. Now, Hosea is prophesying from Judah to the nation of Israel. He's a prophet who's preaching in the same generation as Isaiah, Micah, and Amos. Much like Jeremiah, Hosea will preach in isolation. He'll see very little results from his ministry. Now, as you study the book, it becomes obvious rather quickly that he's preaching to a people who have become unfaithful to God. Their heads have been turned by false gods. Their hearts have been stolen away by temporal blessings. Alcohol, ingratitude, idolatry, all of these things have combined to make the hearts of the people of God harder than fallow ground. It's amazing. Their vision for God had grown strangely dim. As you study out the book of Hosea, there's three marks that define the generation that he lived in. The first defining mark would be this, spiritual apostasy. The second defining mark would be uh, moral corruption. The third defining mark would be political unrest and civic anarchy. And can I say that those things always come together and in that order. Corrupt worship always produces corrupt morality. And corrupt morality will always lead to a corrupt politic or corrupt civic government. That's why it's so important that you and I as the people of God, we don't assimilate, we don't try to appease, we don't give an inch or move a muscle when it comes to Bible truth because it is not compromise that preserves a nation. It is not unrighteousness that preserves a nation. It is not assimilating that preserves a nation. But the Bible says that righteousness preserves a nation. And when corrupt worship ensues, it won't be long before the moral position and the political position follow suit and likewise become corrupt. Now, this book makes use of an allegory to present the picture, if you will, to Israel. Israel is seen as God's adulterous wife, a wife that has proven to be unfaithful to her husband. In fact, probably the key verse to understand the book of Hosea is chapter 4 and verse 12. And the Bible literally says that Israel had gone a whoring from God. Now, if you read through these 14 chapters, you'll find the people of God basically are unfaithful. They're distracted by the world. They're consumed with sin. They're unstable. And they've moved far away from where they once had stood with their God. In fact, in chapter 11, you can look it up when you get home, God literally says that he tried to draw his people with the cords of a man and bands of love. But just a couple of verses down, the response from Israel is they refused to return to God. If ever there was a personification of the hymn lyric that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, it is Israel in the day of Hosea. Now, I read this and I think, how could they ever leave a God like that? 
How in the world could you stray from a God like that? I mean, a God that had redeemed you like that. A God that had protected you like that. A God that had fed you like that. A God that had loved you like that. A God that had promised you a place to be like that. A God who'd been good in your life like that. But they strayed. In fact, they'd slidden far back from where they had once been with God. Now, let me make this statement. It's a great truth that God never changes. But it's a sad truth that you and I are fickle and always changing. And I want us to understand that you can't step toward the world without stepping away from God. You don't inch toward sin without inching away from God. You don't lean toward error without falling away from that which is truth. And you and I all have a free will tonight, and you can make the conscious decision to live in rebellion and run from God if you want to, but God is not obligated to allow his blessings and favor to ride shotgun with you and I on our road trip into rebellion. You see, sin always causes separation. For the lost man, sin will separate him from God forever if he dies that way. But for the saved man, sin separates or breaks our fellowship with our God. That's why it's so important that we live every day judgment seat ready. By that I mean keep short accounts with God. Get up in the morning and get right with God. Go through the day, keep getting right with God. When you go to bed at night, make sure your heart is right with God so that we don't lose or have a lapse in that sweet fellowship and communion with our Savior. Now as you begin reading the book, that allegory begins to take shape in the very first chapter. God is wanting to get a message across to his adulterous people. So he tells Hosea, who's a prophet, to take a wife named Gomer, who the Bible describes as a wife of whoredoms. Now, we have to understand that this marriage does not just have to deal with the two people involved in the union, but there's a larger prophetic picture at work in the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter 1, Hosea goes out and he marries Gomer. She'd been unfaithful and she'll be unfaithful. She's a woman who's prone to wander. To put it plainly, she's a harlot. Now, that's kind of hard to read. And to be honest with you, I didn't really want to even preach on it. But God is trying to show us that just as awful and just as wicked and as just as sinful as literal adultery is, that's how God views spiritual adultery when you and I are unfaithful to our God. Now, in chapter number one, we find Gomer's sin. The Bible calls her that wife of whoredoms. We find out just what she is. In chapter 2, we find Gomer's separation from Hosea. That's what sin does. It separates between us and our God. But I thank God for chapter 3. In chapter 1, we find her sin. In chapter two, 2, we find her separation. But thank God in chapter 3, we find the restoration of Gomer. Just when it seems like the light is about to go out, God steps in. Just when it seems like hope is gone, God steps in. Just when it seems like the buzzer's going to sound and the towel's getting tossed in, God steps in. And I'm glad that's exactly who our God is. He's a God who likes to step in. That's on his resume. He just does that. Only our God can pull light out of darkness. Only our God can pull hope out of that which is hopeless. Only our God can take the grave and turn it into a resurrection ground. Only our God can take defeat and pull victory out of the jaws of defeat. Just as Samson 
Just ask Lazarus. Just talk to Peter. That's just how our God is. Now, in Hosea chapter 3, Gomer's sin has driven her down to depths that she probably thought she'd never fall to. She's become so wrapped up in wickedness and enslaved by her sin that she ends up in a spot she never dreamed she'd be. To put it straight, here it is. Bad choices led her to bad consequences. And that's always how it happens. You might not reap today, but you will reap. The old preacher used to say, the judgment wheel of God may turn mighty slow, but it does turn mighty fine. And it might be, not, might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but there is consequences for sin. Hosea in chapter 3 finds his wife, Gomer, literally on the auction block. It's like the old statement, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. That's where Gomer is. She's played the part of a harlot. She's going to whoring from her husband. And now she stands in public shame. I want you to picture this with me in your mind, if you will. See this woman standing there on that auction block, literally to be sold as merchandise. She once was a mother and a wife, and now she's seen as property. Strange men standing there offering bids maybe for this woman. She's not at liberty. She's in bondage. She's broken. She's full of sorrow and bitterness. Her life is in pieces because of sin. But I'm glad her story does not end on that auction block. And her story does not end wrapped in those chains. And her story will not end with her in the arms of a man that she does not know. Her story does not end with her separated and living in rebellion. Up to this point, rebellion has been her testimony. But I'm glad restoration is about to take over in her life. I was reading in chapter number three, and I found that little word. And it's just a three-letter word, but it speaks volumes about who God is. It's a word full of grace. It's a word full of mercy. It's a word full of love. It's a word full of compassion. And a word that reminds us that our God's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And he's a God of restoration. The Bible says, then said the Lord unto me, go yet in spite of, anyhow, still love a woman. Who is this woman? Beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, According to the love of the Lord to the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. Here she is. He's going to her, Hosea. God says, Hosea, go. Go to where Gomer is. I know that she's broken you. I know that she's hurt you. I know that she's done wrong. But I want you to love her anyhow. I want you to show her grace anyhow. I want you to show her mercy anyhow. I want you to go to where she is. And I want you to bring her back to what used to be. I can see as there's Gomer on that auction block and she's scared to death. She doesn't know what her future will be. Men begin to look at her with her, their lustful eyes. They begin to count their money and get ready to cast their bid and then all of a sudden a familiar face is seen. There's Hosea. He's the one that she mistreated. He's the one that she left. She left his provision. She left his presence. She left his passion. She'd done him wrong, but thank God he didn't forsake her. He didn't leave her. He didn't have her stay on that auction block, Hosea steps up. He offers the price for Gomer in spite of her sin. Anyhow, yet he goes to her and gets her back for himself. Now, I thought this was interesting. Luke 15. Prodigal son leaves the father, wrecks his life, hits rock bottom, finally comes to his senses and goes home. And when he was yet a great way off, 
His father saw him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. God is trying to teach Israel a wonderful truth here. Can I say it's much deeper and much broader than just a marriage between Hosea and Gomer. But God is painting a picture of restoration for his people. Israel had played the part of Gomer. They'd been unfaithful to God and they'd fallen in their rebellion. They'd broken fellowship. They'd forfeited blessing and they were spiritually bankrupt. They deserved to be cast off. They deserved to be forgotten. They deserved to be left. But they they could not escape the grace of God. They could not run the love of God. They couldn't get away from the compassion of God. I'm glad that God's grace goes deeper than the stain of sin. And I'm glad God's grace rises higher than the mountain of sin. And thank God, God's a God of that word yet, in spite of, anyhow. I understand. He said that she's strayed. She's gone away. But Hosea, go get her and bring her back. But he's trying to tell his people, I know that you're not where you used to be. And I know that you're in sin and I know that you're living in apostasy and I know that you've done wrong and yes you deserve judgment and you deserve the wrath of God and you deserve to be cast away but I just can't I love you too much and I want to bring you back to where you used to be Israel's rebellion could not handicap God's heart for restoring Israel that little word yet is found 800 times or better in the King James Bible Luke 15 20 I quoted Romans 5 8 but God commended his love toward us, and yet while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I'm glad my rebellion does not diminish God's compassion. I'm glad my fickle heart doesn't cause God's heart to get fickle. I'm glad that when you and I stray from God, yet he abideth faithful. The Bible says that a just man falls and rises again, but you mark it down anytime a just man's on the rise, it's because the hand of God reached down in restoration to pick him up. And I'm glad in spite of all Israel's sin, God offers them a yet of restoration. In spite of Gomer's sin, Hosea offers her the yet of restoration. But I got something better than that. God offers you and I tonight that same yet of restoration. That yet was good for Gomer. That yet was good for Israel. But thank God it's still good for me and it's still good for you as well. Adam got that yet in his life. David got that yet in his life. Samson got that little yet in his life. Paul and Peter and others and you and I tonight, when we stray from God, when we fall short, when we find ourselves in the far country, I'm glad it's still a welcome mat at the front door to God's house and you can come back to God tonight. He's still a God of restoration. I'm glad God called unto me to come. Thank God for that. I'm glad I'm saved. But I continually find that I need a God who also calls for me to Come back. Now, maybe you don't need that. Maybe you're sinless. I don't know. I kind of have my suspicion about it. Maybe you're always on the mountaintop. I mean, off the charts in love with God, walking lockstep in obedience to the word of God. Maybe that's you. But I'll just be honest with me, uh, uh, with you about me, and I hope it doesn't hurt your confidence in me, but I fall short every day. I stray a little bit every day. I find myself missing the mark every day, and I'm glad God doesn't disown his children. He doesn't orphan his offspring. Say amen right there. I'm glad he doesn't divorce the bride. I'm glad he'll let me come back and get right with him. And that's how we find it here. Just like the hymn I quoted at the beginning. I'm about to get excited of my own preaching. That doesn't happen very often. 
It's just like the hymn we started here in the beginning of the, the beginning of the message, come home. That's what God is saying. God's saying, just come home. You can come back to me. He's saying, Hosea, tell Gomer, come on home. Hey, Israel, come on home. That's what he's saying to a nation. Come home to a nation that had turned from him. He says, come home to a nation that had departed. Come home to a nation lusting after idols. Come home to a nation wrapped up in alcohol. Come home to a nation that forgot God. He says, come home and he still calls to that nation today and he calls to our nation today and he calls to individuals today and I believe that God in Hosea's day is still God in 2019 and I don't know who wandered in here tonight that needed to hear a message like this but if that's you can I tell you come home tonight you don't have to live out of fellowship you don't have to live away from God we don't care how bad you messed up let me tell you how good God is you can come home tonight come back to God tonight thank God for that yet you don't have to live on the cold you can get back on the hot side of things you don't have to live in apathy you can get your zeal back you can get your joy back you can get your shout back just come home I think about the father he put that ring on the prodigal son gave him some new shoes and a robe and even killed a big I said double bacon hater this morning and fed that prodigal son with that beef I mean God that father was good can I say God will be good to you if you'd come back tonight come on back tonight to a nation founded on Bible principle come home to a nation that's been guided by grace and now is shunning the name of Jesus, come home. To a nation that once saw revival and great awakenings and now is wrapped up in apostasy, come home. To a nation that was historically a nation under God and now it's a nation destined for judgment, I believe God is saying, just come home. I think we can still see our nation turned around. I found out in the ministry, I quit going to preachers' fellowships unless I was going to be preaching in it. You say, that sounds kind of prideful. No, I just don't like to get depressed. <laughs> you go to these things, everybody talks about how hard it is and how bad it is and how dark it is, and they wish they're happy they're not my age. I wouldn't want to have to live through what you're going to have to live through. That's real encouraging. <laughs> oh, my. They tell you, we can't see revival. I tell you why they're saying stuff like that. Because they're looking in the wrong place. If all you do is look at what you've got going on and your ability and what you can accomplish in the power of the flesh, you're going to get discouraged. But young men, I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged. You can still do work for God in this generation because our God's a God of restoration. I believe we can still see churches built and buses filled and Sunday school classes overflowing. I believe we can still see souls saved and the baptistry stirred. I believe we could even see America have a little taste of awakening in this generation. You say, I don't believe it. That's because your God's too little. My God's bigger than that. I think God can do it. He's a God of restoration. But I think the same thing for individuals. You say, but you don't know. I don't want to know. I have enough trouble dealing with my own problems. You ever talk to somebody and ask them how they're doing? Then which, why did I say that? Because they literally take it literally and then they tell you. It's funny when you're a preacher and everybody wants to tell you what they got medically going on. I'm going to say, listen, I'm not a medical doctor. Some of that stuff I don't want to know about. You know, I can't, I can't prescribe anything for it and it's going to keep me up at night now. Shake their hand. Next thing you know, they say, pray for me, by the way. I got this rash. Wait a minute, bro. But everybody's, listen, we've all been there. We've got problems. I understand that you might be here tonight and you say, if you only knew what I was looking at last night on my computer, I don't want to know. If you only knew what, what I did last weekend, I don't want to know. But you don't know how far I've gone and how deep I've fallen. I don't want to know. I don't need to know your situation. All I need to know is what the Bible says about God and his situation. 
And tonight, if you just trust God that he's big enough, can I say that that door is always open in God's house? And you could come back to the Father tonight. Let me give you three quick words and I'll close. Restoration tells me God is faithful. Brother Bertram mentioned the word faithful, and I got, oh, so bitter about it last week. But anyway, God is faithful. Israel routinely, every book in the Old Testament that we've preached from is the same. You notice that? God's good as people forsake him. Come back. <laughs> over and over again. God's good as people backslide. God says, come back. It's all throughout the Old Testament. I wonder why. Probably because that's how we are now. But God doesn't change. It's like, the, it's like I told you before. It's like the young man who told me that he just, God doesn't feel real to me. And I said, well, the problem is never God's fault. It's always on our part if God doesn't feel real to us. Because God's real. And I said, it's kind of like this. If you lit a fire and stood beside of it, it'd be hot. And he said, yes, it would. I said, but if you moved 100 yards away, would the fire be hot? And he said, well, no. And I said, sure it would. The fire is just as hot as ever, but you're cold because you moved further away. You know where you find God? Right where you left him. Number two, God is forgiving. A holy God, a righteous God, and a just God, yet a God of mercy and grace. Doesn't matter how far you've gone, how long you've been out of fellowship with him, he stands ready to welcome you back tonight, just like Hosea did Gomer. And then lastly, I like this, God is fit, F-I-T. What's that mean? He's able. If you come to me and you read me your resume of rebellion, I can't do anything about it. I can pray for you, but I can't do anything about it. I'm not fit. But the power of God and the ability of God, you come to him and you pour out your heart and confess to him. Can I say he is able to bring back whatever used to be in your life? I remember growing up and my mom and I were talking about this and she didn't know why I brought this up. But she's been at her house for about three months now and... Um, not been that long, I don't think. Desiree said it felt like, but anyway, moving on. She can take it. She's heard worse, but anyway, we were talking the other day, and I said, Mom, do you remember that time I ran away from home when I was little? I think I was like five years old, and she said, I do, and I just wanted to make sure it was, I, I didn't want to make sure it wasn't like a dream, and it literally happened. It's been so long ago, and she said, no, I remember that, and, and I remember running away from home, my mom and my dad, my father, my mother, and I ran away from home with a backpack on my back full of snacks. You say, where'd the snacks come from? My father and my mother. And I was wearing clothes. You say, where'd you get your clothes? From my father and my mother. I had shoes on my feet. You say, where'd the shoes come from? My father and my mother. I, I ran away from home. I think I probably went at least 20 feet from the house. And I sat in the neighbor's bushes. And I came home when the snacks ran out. <laughs> but do you see how crazy that is? Wait a minute, young man. You mean you're running away with shoes on your feet that they gave you and clothes on your back that they provided and food to eat that they bought. And yet you want to run away from that. But I did. But after the snacks ran out, I came to myself. I didn't want to eat the husks in the bushes of the neighbor's yard. <laughs> So I picked, up, I picked up my empty backpack and walked home. You say, how'd it turn out? Well, she's here, isn't she? Yeah. They welcomed me home. 
And that's a stupid illustration to show us exactly how it is when you and I run from God. We stray, and you, by the way, can be in God's house and a million miles from his heart. But spiritually, we've drifted. And it's God who still yet put the shoes on our feet, the clothes on our back, the food on our table, and yet we've run from him. But the good news is, in spite of, nevertheless, yet we can go back to God. And he'll welcome us home as though we've never left. Parents of prodigals, don't you give up on God just yet. Can I say God is bigger and God is able? If you're a prodigal, don't you give up on God tonight. You can come back and he'll welcome you home. Don't give up on America yet. He's still that God of restoration. Don't give up on your marriage yet. He's a God of restoration. And I don't know who needed the message or just me, but I'm glad that's who our God is tonight. I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.